hidden behind closed doors. This is Beer and Bee Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael. Michael, what are we discussing today? Today we are discussing 1968's Witchfinder General. Jason, what are we drinking today? Today we are drinking Jubeck New World Brewing Pabell. And they've sponsored us, haven't they, Michael? Yes, they have. This is... Cheers. Cheers. This is another from my Iowa trip. Jubeck is sponsoring this episode with their English pub ale. And uh, thank you so much. I thought Witchfinder General, it's set in the English Civil War. I thought, what better beer than an English-style pub ale? How do you like it? It's great. It's, it is. I mean, it's exactly what you think in the English pub ale. There's that maltiness, a little floweriness, really drinkable. I mean, you kind of want some fish and chips. Yeah. Not to, you know, be stereotyping, yeah. but it's kind of perfect for that. Yeah, and also it's nice that each of these cans is one pint, which is typical. I remember going to England and going to uh, pubs and ordering a pint. So, perfect. Thank you so much, Jubak, for contributing, for supporting us. Absolutely. Did you visit one of their breweries were there? or did it's, you? it's a stop I always make. It's right downtown in Dubuque, Iowa. It's actually a place my sister and I, we always go because it's a small, local. It's got, it does have a very pub atmosphere. They play vinyl. It's just the kind of place you go and you have a pint. So I go there every time I'm back and try to bring something back. Michael, you picked this movie. I did pick this. It's a collaboration. Tygon was a production company that competed with Hammer and Amicus in England for doing horror movies. There's a book by John Hamilton called Beast in the Cellar, the exploitation film career of Tony Tenser, who started Tygon. It's supposed to be a really great book. Haven't read it, but it's not going to go on my reading list. It was a collaboration between them and AIP, which we've done some before. It has Vincent Price. This is our third Vincent Price movie. Not a huge budget. I believe the budget on this was 100,000 pounds. It's very much a B movie. It's a historical fiction. There was a terrible witch hunt during the Civil War. Vincent Price plays Matthew Hopkins, who is a witchfinder general. He becomes a witchfinder general in the movie. He's a self-appointed person who goes out finding witches and trying them and torturing them and killing them. This one was directed by a man named Michael Reeves, who did some other Tygon pictures. Sadly, he died. I think he was 25 about a year after this came out. He died of an alcohol barbiturate overdose. Morbidly, I've read, they sort of attribute some of the success of this movie to his death. Someone dies, everyone wants to see what they did. And I'm sure we'll discuss it. Him and Vincent Price had a very tense relationship. I think we should do that now. Okay, Yeah. on the film set. Oh, no, because... <laughs> Uh, Michael Reeves wanted Donald Pleasance. Now, just for a little perspective, Matthew Hopkins, his reign as a witch finder took went over about 18 months, 25, 26, and he died at 26. Uh, Vincent Price was 56 when he did this role. Uh, Michael Reeves wanted Donald Pleasance first. The producers said, I believe it was probably AIP, they said, no, we got this guy, Vincent Price, he's a, he's a known commodity, which right immediately put them at loggerheads because Michael Reeves didn't want this guy. He was rude, wouldn't pick up Vincent Price at the airport, which was tradition, and so Vincent Price became very antagonistic. It was yeah. an antagonistic relationship throughout, and it wasn't until well after the movie came out, Vincent Price saw it, and he wrote a letter to Michael Reeves, to his credit, I don't think he apologized, but he said, hey, I get what you're trying to do. I see it. You made a really good movie. And it's very unlike Vincent Price's other roles. When I watch this, 
We've covered Vincent Price, like you said, in two other podcasts, in Baron of Arizona and The Haunted Palace. And I've watched a lot of Vincent Price movies. Oh, and yeah. there's always a snarkiness. Like, you knew that he's like, wink, wink, this is just a movie. This is a vile, brutal character that he plays. And he even said, after he saw it, he, he said he realized Michael Reeves wanted a more laid-back style of acting. And he said, if you would have told me that up front, I would have worked with him. But it's that, apparently not how it worked. But you're right. It was evil without the theatricality. He would always play these villains, but there was always this, like, it wasn't Snidely scary. whiplash this, this, side this, to it in his yes. other villains. <laughs> yeah, this character, Matthew Hopkins, is a terrifying character. Yeah. It's a horror movie in the sense that, first of all, this stuff really happened. This is fictionalized version of it. But this was a time you have a, a civil war where the complete country's in complete upheaval. Society's kind of crumbling. There's famine. People don't have enough to eat. There aren't jobs. There's nothing. You hope that people rise up to the occasion. But no, they kind of descend and they look for someone to blame. And a lot of times that's where these witch hunts kind of come from. Your crops start failing or your animals die or a child dies. You're going to look for someone to blame. I'm a neighbor. Maybe you have a beef with me. And so you say, hey, Michael is a witch. He put a curse on my family. And lo and behold, along comes the witch finder and they... They interrogate you, and then they might try you. And odds are, things aren't going to end well for you. When society collapses, there's a lack of food, there's a lack of structure. Superstition tends to rise. And that's exactly what you see in the rural communities that are visited by Matthew Hopkins in this movie. He's not appointed by anyone. He is a self-appointed witch finder who goes around with an authority he doesn't really have his only authority is his confidence and the fact he's learned and the real matthew hopkins they don't know a lot about his early life but they do have uh, the transcripts from a lot of the trials and they said from those they were able to discern he probably had some training in law so he was for that time intelligent the real matthew hopkins he heard about some witch trials and he it just sort of was like this epiphany where he said that's my life's work I'm going to go find witches. And in fact, you could still download today. You could go to Project Gutenberg and his book, Discover Witches, written by him. You could download and read about his exploits. Now, the movie is based on a fictionalized account, Witchfinder General by Ronald Bassett. So should we do our spoiler alert and dive in? Spoiler alert. <laughs> That's it. So <laughs> For some people, this is, might not be the most gory or violent movie, but it starts, it's an intense movie, and it starts intensely. You have a woman being drugged from a village. She is screaming, and her, she's, I mean, blood-curdling screams. While these men are building, they're finishing up a gallows on a hill. So to me, that shows kind of the capriciousness of all this, is that they're not really preparing. It's, we're going to do this right now. And they go, and they hang a woman. They don't give any explanation. They just drag her out and hang her kind of where, where the whole thing starts rolling. Then we get into the beginnings of the score, which is really fantastic. Paul Ferris did there. the score. He passed away in 1995, but his score, along with the cinematography of these rural landscapes, they make this movie seem to be a bigger budget movie than it is. The score adds so much in terms of the atmosphere and the feel of the movie. That opening scene... It has that strange credits. and Are those faces of women screaming? Yeah. And then there's that light cross filtered through the tree forming a cross shape at the very beginning. It's a great introduction. Oh, yeah. You don't need millions of dollars or millions of pounds to like make a quality movie. And also, I mean, some of those countrysides, you'd have to be just an idiot to like film those poorly. 
there's a voiceover that takes place in 1645, right in the midst of the English Civil War. And we are introduced to the hero of our story, Richard Marshall. And Richard Marshall is referred to as a roundhead. Yeah, he's one of Cromwell's men. The English Civil War, the Charles I is the reigning king versus the parliament. And one of their leaders is Cromwell at the time. And they're called roundheads. They're called roundheads. And they're referring to the people, the supporter of the kings, as royalists. And also, the roundheads tend to be more Puritan, and which was a rising Christian religious movement. And so we're introduced to Richard Marshall. There's a battle with royalists. He saves his captain by happenstance. Right, Michael? They stop. His captain leaves him behind. So, and to me, the, he leave, he's left behind to watch the horses. That tells me he's a low man on the totem pole. He just so, started his military career. And so they go off to fight these royalists. Well, and he sits there, and he actually looks scared throughout. And even when he saves his captain, shoots a man that's gonna, about to shoot his captain, he looks horrified at what he's done. His captain is, basically promotes him on the spot. So gets, he gets a little time off. So he's going to go and visit his girlfriend, Sarah. This is your introduction. There's going to be a lot of horseback riding in this movie, along with Paul Ferris's score to accompany that horseback riding. And he ends off to see Sarah, who's living with her uncle, John Lowe's, who's a local priest. My assumption is that he's a Catholic priest. He is, I would say, because they keep talking about the papacy. And this is a heavily Puritan area. So he sees Sarah. He has a discussion with the uncle. The uncle's really happy to see him. He immediately starts talking about how he needs to get Sarah out of there. And then he says, hey, if you married her, would you take her away? And Richard, he kind of gets excited. And he goes, wait, you're going to give us your blessing. And he goes, I don't have much. I only have my dad's farm and what I get paid as a soldier. And her uncle kind of turns on him sort of nastily and says, I don't have any use for your ill-kept lands or the silver that you get for killing God-fearing Christians. And that tells me right there, prior to this meeting, he wasn't really willing to give that blessing. Something has made him change his mind. And now he's more than willing to give Richard his blessing to marry Sarah, as long as he'll take her away from Brandiston, because bad things are happening. The uncle grants them... I mean, I, I think he's going like, wink, wink, I know you guys are going to spend the night together. But he does remind Richard, country women need a full eight hours in their bed if they are to be proper wives and mothers. And of course, there's a very cinematic love scene between Sarah and Richard. <laughs> it was done. tastefully done. Tastefully done. Yeah. Richard is played by Ian Ogilvy. And, you know, he's an actor's actor. You can look up his IMDb page. He still acts to this day. I thought it was interesting that his uncle is David Ogilvy, the father of modern advertising. He started Ogilvy and Mathers. Sarah is played by Hilary Dwyer. And she made a couple other AIP movies with Vincent Price. Mm -hmm. She had a really amazing career. She's passed away recently. But she was acting, then producing, and then eventually in her 60s went and got a master's to deal with addiction counseling. So I thought a really interesting person. There, it's a very loving, tasteful, romantic interlude in a movie that I would describe as being very angry and brutal. And that's where we go next, is we get introduced to Matthew Hopkins and his sidekick, his right-hand man, his heavy John Stern. They're riding to Brandiston, and immediately, first of all, they're dressed differently. Matthew Hopkins wears a hat, wears one of those kind of Puritan hats, but the hierarchy is established quickly because John refers to Hopkins as Matthew, and Matthew Hopkins shuts that down quick. 
goes, you do not refer to me as Matthew. And they're having a conversation about their job as witch finders and basically torturers. John Stern clearly, he pretty much admits, I enjoy torturing people and getting confessions. And he's trying to get Matthew Hopkins to admit that he does. And Matthew Hopkins keeps trying to say like this, no, no, this is a job. We're doing the Lord's work. This is a job. It's all a front. These guys are two sides of the same coin. Because you see throughout that one tries to put himself on this civilized side of the world, whereas John Stern is wallowing. I, I know what I am. I'm a thug and a drunk, a womanizer, and I enjoy it. These characters are completely opposites. And as you pointed out, these people would not be friends given any other circumstances. If there wasn't a civil war, they wouldn't even go to the same establishments. And Richard, he's on his way back to work in the war. So he bumps into Hopkins and Stern and they have a friendly exchange. And he says, Brandiston's three miles, three miles on friend. And he's like, oh, you know, what, what are you doing in Brandiston? And he says, I'm looking for a man who may not be what he seems, which is code for I'm going to go kill a witch. <laughs> So Hopkins and Stern arrive in Brandiston. And this, Jason, this is what one of the important things I get from this movie is the villagers are so excited that they are there because they're saying this person's a witch. This John Lowe's does the devil's sign. He commiserates with things. He's doing, And these villagers, and everywhere they go, the people aren't just scared or anything. They seem gleefully excited that we're going to accuse someone of a witch. This is almost entertainment for these people. And they're really nasty, especially in Brandiston, because we spend so much time there. But Salter and his gang, they watch the tortures go on. They seem, nobody at any point says, well, what are we doing? It's a mob mentality. It's the descent into degradation. You're right. I think most of the people you see as part of the public who are watching these executions take place are excited about seeing this. But as the movie goes on, you see other people, for example, when they get to Lavenham. No, I think you always have a group of people who are willing to take see, place But in this, in this one, group. it's just about everyone. But a lot of the public are just standing there. I'm not saying that they're not supporting it, but they're just standing there, just staring and watching. I always think of that Monty Python scene where it's a whole crowd like cheering on to bring the witch. And in this, you do see a group of people who are cheering on, but then you see a group of people who are just standing there. The silent group, they're not saying anything. They're just watching. They're clearly not stopping it, but they're also not going, yay, we're killing the witch today. Again, they're watching someone get burned alive. I thought the same thing as you. And then there was a moment, and I think it was watching the children poke at the skulls. This is where yeah. we, we turn yeah. an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> two hours. We get to the interrogation. They take John Lowe's. He's accused. He says, get out of here. That's not going to work in this case. So they take him and torture him. John Stern takes this poker that he has and you poke someone in the back. And the idea is if you poke a spot and it doesn't bleed and they don't feel it, that's called the devil's mark. John Lowe's does not confess. At this time, to contrast this torture of John Lowe's in his own house, Sarah is out in idyllic pastoral countryside and she's informed of what's going on. She goes running towards the house and Hopkins steps outside and stops her. She lies and she's like, I'm not his niece. That's a betrayal. As a Catholic, St. Peter denying yeah. Christ. That's a denial. You know him, you're his niece. No, no, I was a foundling. My assumption is that John knowing the sinister movement of witch hunting was coming towards and having some idea that this eventually he is going to be 
in the crosshairs. I think he probably told Sarah, if they get me, deny me to save yourself. I don't necessarily but, think that she's doing a horrible thing there. So Hopkins suggests that there might be a way out of this if she was willing to meet him in her bedroom at night to discuss this. Yeah. So, of course, this is a power dynamic where Hopkins is willing to trade his beliefs for some sex with this young maiden. It's, it's the old quote from Lord Acton, 1887. Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Matthew Hopkins says he's doing the Lord's work. Power corrupts him. He does lots of unlordly things. She agrees because she believes it's going to save her uncle's life. And in fact, for a while it does because Hopkins stops Stern from torturing Lowe's and says, just lock him up overnight in the prison. And that's where Stern gets suspicious. And I think it's interesting because Hopkins thinks so lowly of Stern's but at the same time, he wants to hide the fact that he's an indulging in this power play with this woman. So as Stern is a rabble rouser drinking at a tavern at night with some wenches, Hopkins sneaks out, visits Sarah, and eventually Stern gets the wiser and follows him and knows what he's doing. And he holds back on that information until Hopkins gets called, no doubt, on a witch issue of concern to another village. And when he leaves, Stern seeks out Sarah and rapes her. This has a impact because when Hopkins returns and that character Salter informs Hopkins of what happened and what he saw, Hopkins no longer wants to do anything with Sarah. And therefore, the death warrant on Sarah, John Lowe's her uncle, is finalized. And there's a great moment where he walks in and Stern, of course, is just drunk as usual. And he says to Stern, you know, it's okay, you can go back to torturing the priest. And Stern just starts laughing, just cackling like he knows I won. Both of them are evil, but the Stern is a very scary individual. Yes. I mean, that's that's a guy who is just going to go around, sucker punch you, stab you in the dark. Just he is a lout. You've seen Train Spotting. Begbie. That's the character I thought of immediately. Like, this is a part of your group, but you're uneasy every time this guy's around. Yeah. One of the guys in Train Spotting is describing this horrible thing Begbie did. And at the end of the story, he goes, eh, you know, he's a mate. You know, that's the kind of guy like Stern might get you into a fight. Something terrible might happen. He's just a horrible, horrible person. At one point, he just dumps a big flagon of ale over a woman's head and laughs. He's really excited that he gets to continue torturing. And I think, honestly, Hopkins, the reason he doesn't want to have anything to do with Sarah anymore is that she is now tainted by Stern. She's been touched by a man that he thinks so lowly of that he's like, forget her anymore. So we get to the Monty Python scene. They're dragging all these accused witches <laughs> out to a moat where they're going to toss them in the water. This is a real thing, and it didn't have to do with the duck or the wood, or great gravy, or very small rocks. Or breakfast cereal. <laughs> or breakfast cereal. <laughs> no, it had to do with witches. Apparently, they deny their baptism, so if they get thrown in water, they would try to get away from it, so they would quote-unquote float. They take her uncle, they take a few other women, throw them into the water. One of them doesn't float. She drowns. They pull them all out. The other ones, dude, you're getting hung. And it's just this moment where, where he, Matthew Hopkins looks at the drowned woman, and he goes, she was innocent. And you're just going this bat crap logic. <laughs> what is wrong with these? I mean, it's a weird time, but you're just like, my mind is blown every time I think this is what things were like. 
It's funny because Tygon's other movie, Blood of Satan's Claws, has a scene where a bunch of men throw a witch, or they think a witch is into the water, and the one guy says, "The logic, your logic is really wrong in this. And he goes and pulls her out. <laughs> the real Matthew Hopkins and Stearns, once the trial was done, they took their money and left. They never stayed for the yeah, executions. So Hopkins and Stern grab their silver and they leave town. Before I leave town, oftentimes I like to stop for a beer. I mean, That's a great segue. <laughs> you know, I mean, if I was those guys, I wouldn't want to be those guys. But if you gave me a bag of silver, I might say, Jason, let's stop off at the pub. Have an English pub ale. Now, so, Jubek, <laughs> cheers. Cheers. I dig this beer. 4.9%. This, this is just a tasty, it's such a solid beer. They're a nano brewery. They, they just celebrated when I was back. I think they were celebrating their seventh anniversary. Nice. Yeah. They're doing some good stuff. Super small distribution. They're so small, they can't, they don't have the capacity to do a lot of distribution. So, there are a couple places you can find on tap, but you have to go to the brewery. So if you're in, I mean, if you're passing through that area, I'd al- I always recommend checking out breweries. This one would be pretty cool because it is, I mean, when you talk about like stuff you can't really get, it doesn't distribute far. This stuff doesn't get out of Dubuque, really. That's why a lot of people always think, you know, a brewery, well, why aren't they distributing yeah. everywhere? A lot of them don't have the capacity. They have to keep their distribution tight because if they spread themselves too thin, suddenly they can't keep up. And what you know it's really bad is when people can get your stuff, then they can't get it. They do some really nice sours. They have a couple of great stouts. But like I said, this is every time I go home, I'm from a bigger family. There's special places, and this is kind of my sister's number one. And I we always we always go here. This is our spot. It's our special little place. We go down and knock back a few and very fitting English I, pub ale for this movie. <laughs> you know what? We always try to get a beer that kind of goes with the movie. And sometimes I have to really tie it. But this one this one was simple. I can remember specifically sitting at the brewery. And I was drinking one of these. They had it on tap, which was even better. And I went, oh my God, we're doing Witchfinder General. I said, I'm getting a four pack of this. And I talked to the owner. And uh, he said, absolutely, whatever you want. So I went in. And the lady said, you know, you, he said you could take whatever you want. And I said, well, I want that pub ale, you know, I'm not going to get greedy or stupid. Because, you know, sometimes if somebody says you can have whatever you want, people get greedy like John Stern would. You know, that guy, you know, that guy would have taken a whole lot more. He would have just been dragging kegs. You, out saw, of you saw him negotiate one part in the movie, like for a horse. <laughs> yeah. And it was. Yeah, that's what a horrible person. So like after they leave. Richard coming to get some horses for the cause, for the army. And the farrier starts talking about this dust up, some craziness that's going on in Brandiston. And, you know, they killed a priest and Richard realizes what's going on. So he abandons his post. Heads- a lot of music, a lot of horseback riding. Exactly. And I, again, the score really does. It sells this as a big sweeping yeah, epic. Exactly. So he, he goes back to Brandiston. He finds Sarah in the church. The people have trashed the church. Spray painted witch. I, I should say spray painted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they wrote witch. They, they, they wrote witch on it. And she's, you know, she's covered in a shawl. She's like almost like doing penance for her supposed sins or whatever. And she tells him what happened. And Richard, to his credit, a lot of men in that time would have been like, oh, no. You're not with me anymore. He marries her on the spot and basically vows these people will be brought to justice. And then tells Sarah, go to Lavenham. And he is off. Once again, horseback riding, music. He is going to track down Hopkins 
and Stearns. And this movie at this point truly reminds me of the Western genre. A lot of the Western movies had a distinct subgenre that there was plenty of movies called the revenge movie where now he is going to seek justice. His own justice, his own moral code, whatever that means, he is going to seek it out on Hopkins and Stearns. And he takes off. He gets to a tavern in Hoxney, and it just so happens John Stern's hanging out there. You know, though, it's, happenstance. You know what, though, it's it's a pub. It's not by happenstance. If he happened by a church and John Stern was there, that would be kind of weird. But if it's a pub along any road, not a surprise if John Stern is in there being drunk. And a fight ensues, and it reminds me of the fights that you would find in Western movies or old Errol Flynn movies. A lot of people jumping, yeah. and things breaking over each other's head. Stearns is able to escape with a little help of the actual owner of the pub. But of course, afterwards, Richard is back in the saddle chasing down this is the most western part of the entire movie this chase because it is just a a cutting back and forth between two men on horses going through the country beautiful countryside absolutely the only difference being in westerns is going to be more of that western united states desert this is like the green pastoral beauty of the english countryside but you could take this whole outline of this movie and you could put it in the old west and it would line up with a lot of western revenge movies absolutely of course stern's runs into Hopkins, and they're able to hide from Richard Marshall. 30 feet off. Just, I know. just go into the wood. I, I mean, I guess it makes sense if not being on horseback, but if you're riding fast, you're not you're not looking into the woods. You're thinking, this guy's going to keep getting away from me. Stern says, hey, we got to be careful with this guy. We got to split up. He's out for blood. And Hopkins, of course, says, you're forgetting our powers he could be a witch. Once again, just a complete abuse of powers. It's hubris. Yeah. Because Stern says, we need to split up. Yeah. This guy's after you, and we need to just split our stuff and go out separate ways. But Hopkins is so full of power, so overwhelmed with like, today's phrase would be sniffing his own brand, yeah. that he's just like, no, we're going to continue doing what we want to do because I can. Richard eventually gives up and returns to his command and he is browbeaten by the captain who he saved saying you know desertion could lead in most times to death but number one we're about to start a major skirmish we need every able-bodied man and number two it'd be hard for me to send someone to death to the guy who saved my life but then he has a side where basically he says just under his breath and may God help you on your search. Knowing that regardless of what he's told him, that Richard is going to take off at the next moment he could to search down Hopkins and Stern. And Hopkins and Stern now have actually come across a separate batch of Cromwell's army who are looking to gather horses for their skirmishes. <laughs> you see Hopkins and his condescension, his hubris, where they say, hey, we're, we need horses for the cause. And he just basically says, not for sale. And Hopkins runs the gambit and gets chased. Stearns gets grabbed. Hopkins ends up shooting horses. Just bails. He just bails. That's their relationship is just one of... It's a completely economic relationship. They make money because they're two sides of the same coin. When Hopkins is like, I don't need this guy right now. <laughs> I mean, he's dead weight. I'm drunk. Yeah. I only need well, to be faster than Stern's horse. And even the way they're being talked to about their horses, because it, it's clear. And I'm not, a, I'm not a horse person, yeah. but they're talking about Hopkins' horse, like, oh, that's a really nice yeah. horse. And then basically, Stern says, you know, you guys are going to take my horse and eat, eat it. it. So, like, so like he's got some sort of like beat down Old horse. Bear. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like he's riding a donkey, whereas. 
Hopkins has a really beautiful, like, healthy horse. So it's like clear they just keep drawing these lines between them. And Hop- Hopkins does get away, but Stern's caught. He's describing to his captors, the Cromwell's army, the Roundheads. Hopkins and myself were partners in extermination, which is a horrible way to describe what they're doing. Oh, he yeah. doesn't say that we're doing this as a religious pursuit to stamp out the devil and witchcraft in our time. It's extermination. And it's interesting, Jason, that he says, I'm not going to fight for you in your war. He doesn't want to be part of an organized institution. He wants that freedom, basically like Matthew Hopkins. We don't really answer to anybody. He's like, I want to just ride around torturing people and killing them. I'm a sadist. I'm not a fighter. I'm not a hero. He gets away from his captors, but ends up getting shot by them, but still is able to escape. But I thought you... You found it interesting what he had to do with his instrument of torture. We got one more to share. Excellent. The only reason he gets shot is so that he sits down, he pulls out is the poker that he uses to torture people, and he digs out the slug from his shoulder. He has to use his instrument of torture on himself, and the camera pans away as he screams. He screams like one of his torture victims. It's almost a little bit of his own medicine. So I feel like this was just a moment to show John Stern getting a bit of comeuppance. And it just sort of focuses him where he, he's on a vengeance path of his own towards Matthew Hopkins. Watching this movie several times, at that point in the movie, because even he says, Hopkins. I'm assuming Hop- he's going to kill Hopkins. But it's funny, he goes, Matthew Hopkins, sir. Exactly. <laughs> I thought the next time he runs into Hopkins... He's going to kill him. The end of their partnership. And take the movie in a completely different direction. That was his goal. But Matthew Hopkins is a clever SOB. So we're in Lavenham. Matthew Hopkins has arrived. There have been some witch accusations in this town. And he's told what's going on. And it's some women, young women and old women. In this scene, Jason, you get a real glimpse of how he views women. Because when he's told about the women that are accused... He has a quote. He says, how much iniquity the Lord vested in females. And and if you go back in history, witch hunts, any sort of these witch trials, there are always a few men who get killed. Overwhelmingly, these are attacks on women. He has a real dislike for women. And this is where he gets a little creepy too, because he says, bring me the young women. And he uses an excuse. He says, older women, older women are more set. They're a little more sensible. The young ones are stubborn. I get the impression he's going to have these young women in and he's going to use the moves he used on Sarah where he says, hey, I can make things easier for you. A little give and take. And then he also talks about he's got this new method of execution. And this is really a horrible line. He says, it's a a fitting end for the foul ungodliness of womankind. That is some hate. The historical Matthew Hopkins were responsible for the execution of 20 men, but 200 And that's an estimate. I doubt it was less. So now we go to Cromwell. It's a short scene with Cromwell. It's basically just a chance for us to find out that Richard has been promoted again. His boss described him as a pretty good soldier most of the time, but he keeps going, failing upwards. He goes AWOL. He keeps getting promoted, and Cromwell sends him on a mission. The king is getting away, so he takes his his right-hand man, Swallow, and they're off to catch the king before he escapes. But Richard's mind is solely on that, and his buddy Swallow knows it. He's got a one-track mind. 
are we going to go for the king? He's like, yeah, but we're going to chase Hopkins too. The issue was that possibly Charles I was going to basically try to escape across the strait. There's that man sitting on the shore. He says, well, you should be hearing what's going on at Lavenham. <laughs> Jason, I love this because it's this fisherman. First of all, they go, dude, you didn't know it was the king. He's like, how was I supposed to know it was the king? This yeah. guy wanted a boat. He just wanted to leave. <laughs> And then they said, and there's a civil war going on. He said, I didn't know there was a civil war until you guys came along. There's something interesting about it that all hell is breaking loose. Every society is crumbling. You can still have these people in pockets. They're just living their lives. Not everybody is being completely impacted. This guy's just out on the coast. And I thought, what a lucky fella. After the fisherman informs them of the Lavenham thing, to me, this is when the full snap breaks. Because Richard yells, and he yells it in this really like scary way. He yells, Lavenham! And off he goes. He's going to Lavenham because he knows Sarah's there. He knows Hopkins is there. I don't think he's thinking about Sarah at this point. I think at this point, all of his focus is on Matthew Hopkins. I think we have a little disagreement yeah. there. In terms of story structure, we're leading to the very end, the climax of the movie and the ending of the movie. Our hero is now going to finally seek out his justice. We jump to Lavenham. Hopkins is breaking out his new death device. Well, basically, you're going to lower a witch on a ladder into fire. At the same time, there's a bunch of women accused of being witches in what amounts to a pig pen, and the local children are stabbing them. There is a man in this group. He is in tears that she's being accused and being she's going to be burned. He's screaming his wife's name, yep. Elizabeth. He's screaming and crying. Yep. They're holding him back. And it's before they picked anyone. And Matthew Hopkins looks over at this guy screaming and crying. And he says, let's start with Elizabeth, to, which is just a new level of sadism. And it goes to the whole movie where Hopkins and Stern... There's no redeeming quality. There's no great areas with these characters. They're meant to be the villains of this story. The movie's brutal and violent. Oh, it is. About Lavenham, that the witch burning that was filmed was actually a site of real burnings in the town square of Lavenham. And also that town square is a very picturesque film location and has showed up in Harry Potter's, uh, the Harry Potter movie, Deathly Hollows Part 1 as, um, what's the name of the little city? If my kids were in here, Godric's Hollow. So it's interesting to see that same location used. I even, Stanley it's, Kubrick even filmed a movie in that same location. After the burning, Hopkins, walking away after being paid, runs into Stern. And you think, based on the previous scene, that Stern is out for vengeance, that he is going to kill Hopkins. But, of course, Hopkins, in his smooth way, said, Listen, you escaped. We both escaped. You know? No harm, no foul. And also... I got the money for you. And I did and all you, the work. And I, exactly. I did all the work, but I'm still going to pay you. And, and Stern, because their relationship is strictly economics, like, yeah, you know what? You're kind of right. I'm good. I, I hold all life dear, yeah. especially my own. <laughs> and he's like, so do you want to join me and get paid or do you want to die? Topkin says, I could kill you right now. This is also when he, he's a witchfinder general. Yeah. I'm being called this. <laughs> and now. they're saying the government should should let me do that. I'm just going, what in the hell is going on with this guy? So yeah, they see Sarah. At first, it looked like Stern wanted to go after her, And then Hopkins goes, no, no, we, we have to wait because that guy. Richard is right around the corner. And of course, Richard shows up to Sarah's door. He knows the end is coming. His men are chasing him to begin with. His men know that he's deserted now. But he shows up. 
at Sarah's door and he's like, they're, they're going to come for us. And his buddy Swallow goes, oh, I guess I'll be down in the pub. And sure enough, as he's thinking about what, what are we going to do, there's a knock on the door. Hopkins and Stern are there, the magistrate, who says, I saw them commiserating with their familiars, a black cat and a stoat. <laughs> Which a stoat would be kind of a fun little familiar. You know? So they, they're taken to the castle. It's time to torture them. As they're leaving, Elizabeth's husband, the only reason this happens is so that he can tell the soldiers where they went. He comes to assassinate Hopkins. Yes. Hopkins shoots him. They're off to the castle. Yeah. Our ideas of what what this movie about may part in this final little bit. They got him hanging on the wall, and they're going to torture Sarah unless Richard confesses. He won't confess. It's, it's almost like the Princess Bride, as you wish. The only thing he says to Hopkins is, I am going to kill you. And they make a mistake. He gets out of his shackles. And does he stab Stern right in the eye? Jason, he rides a horse, so he has spurs. They've been stabbing, stabbing Sarah in the back, and then they put her on the slab, and they're going to brand her. And basically, again, another weird thing, if you scream out, when we take this glowing hot cross and put it on you, if you scream out, we can only assume it's the devil. And so they're going to make him watch, and he gets loose, and boom, puts a spur. Right through Stern's Stern's eye. And meanwhile, his buddies are coming to help. His buddies are coming to help. He grabs an axe, and he starts wailing on Hopkins. Now, I'd have to say this axe, in terms of special effects, I read about it, was like a rubber mallet because Hopkins is folding. You can imagine if someone's chopping you with an axe. First couple of times I thought I saw it, I thought it was just like a club. Yeah. And in the making of it, Reeves, the director, was so angry at Vincent Price he told the the actor, really, really go to town on him with this. Like, he really did. And the producer overheard it, and he went, ah, oh, this can't be cool. So he actually put extra padding in Vincent Price's outfit, his costume. And then his buddy Swallow comes in. They see what's going on. It's this horrible scene of a woman strapped, you know, screaming, bloody, tortured on the back. You got a guy with a spur that went into his eyes screaming on the floor, and their comrade hacking away at some dude with an axe. And so he goes, I got to stop this. And he puts Hopkins out of his misery and shoots him. Richard's response is he's crazed. And he just looks at them and starts screaming, you took him from me. Like I was supposed to kill him. Sarah is just screaming. Just screaming. And then it cuts to this really beautiful ballad, which was based on Greensleeves. The guy who wrote it said Greensleeves was the inspiration. Beautiful little guitar ballad. It's such a like harsh ending. I guess yeah. the first question is, do you recommend this movie? Um, do I recommend this movie? Before we talk about recommendations, let's talk about, is this a horror movie? I know it gets classified everywhere as a horror movie, but as a horror movie fan, if you were to put this on, this looks like a historical costume drama dealing with a period of the English Civil War. And the actual violence is true physical violence that took place during warfare. There is no devil in this movie. There is no witch in this movie. There is no demons or monsters in this movie, except for humans being monsters themselves. And so a lot of times I look at this movie and it's like, man, this reminds me of a lot of Westerns I grew up watching. But at the same time, it is classified all the time as a horror movie. I can't think of much more horrifying than the whole witch hunt idea of your neighbor accusing you. So for me in that respect, it is it is a horror movie. It's a, a realistic horror movie. Much like, uh, say, Deranged, which was based on Ed Gein, you know, is a horror movie. Or 
Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, which is based on Henry Lee Lucas. There's nothing scarier than real life, the horrors that we visit upon ourselves. Loosely based on fact, that stuff did happen, and that's terrifying to me. My- because you have the Salem witch trials, which, you know, there was no real war going on at the time. It was like bad things and then accusations going on. That's some scary stuff. That's a perfect example because Arthur Miller wrote The Crucible, which is based off the Salem Witch Trials. And I would not say that that play or any movie based on The Crucible is a horror movie. And now, now I'm so, going to say, like, I'm the complete minority because everybody treats this as a horror movie. I'm just saying if you're a modern horror fan, if you sat them down and said, hey, I want you to watch the horror movie, I'm going to say that more often than not, Particularly if they're a fan of, like, we just covered slasher movies. They're a fan of the Friday the 13th Halloween. And you sit down and watch this movie, they're going to go, what am I watching? <laughs> I, yeah, I guess I have a broader scope on it when I think about horror movies. On a different note, this movie may not be as violent. There's no you know, nudity. There were apparently some scenes of nudity shot for the German market. Always. <laughs> yeah, which Michael Reeves had nothing to do with. And in the credits, they actually mention additional scenes shot by someone else. But there's content in here where I would say I would be leery to let younger kids watch this movie because it is extremely intense. And there's so much unpleasantness. There's not over-the-top gore. But from the get, the opening of the woman screaming, it's so intense. You know, the villains are so unsavory that I would be less apt to watch a kid watch this than watch, say, Alien. It's an unpleasant movie. It's a very... I think, angry and brutal movie. And because that it's trying to portray realistic violence that occurred, it is more harsh. It was interesting reading about this movie, how the critics were overwhelmingly really put off by the violent nature at the time. Oh, so absolutely. I'm thinking back in terms of when this is filmed, this was considered gratuitous in terms of the violence. And this was after Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. England has a different system than we do here in the United States where they had to turn their script in to get it approved. Yes. And they kept handing it back like three times. They handed it back and said, yeah, none of this is going to get through. You got to change yeah. this. So I can only imagine what the original might have looked like because this, you know, for the time is pretty intense. I mean, the, the rape scene is yeah. unpleasant. It's not graphic, but it's just a lot of this movie made me squirm in my seat. And like I said, I'm the minority because this gets classified constantly in what's referred to now as folk whore. And I think Rue Morgue magazine for their September, October release, they have a whole cover article about, you know, the roots of folk whore. And this movie, The Wicker Man, a fellow Tygon movie, The Blood of Satan's Claws, is considered the unholy trinity of these folk whore movies dealing with pastoral rural settings and the underbelly of paganism and superstition. Wicker Man's classic. No, and Blood on Satan's Claw is a very good oh, no, movie. Oh, no, I, I enjoyed that's, it. That's on my yeah. list. That'll be on here someday. Oh, 100%. I, I like so, that movie. Back to back to your question. Yeah, would, would I yeah. recommend this? I personally, I, I don't think I'd watch this movie again. That being said, I think for a fan of Vincent Price movies, it would be your duty to watch this. It's so different. He does a great job, but it's so different than any of his other acting. You know, you like historical fiction. You want to have a sense of what was going on. Although there's a lot of historical inaccuracies that Michael and myself have both pointed out. That's a historical it, Yeah, I mean, it gives you a good idea of what was going on. It's it's not a bad movie. I'm waffling. <laughs> I'm waffling here. Put it on your list with caveats. I, per, I doubt I'd watch it again. I found it very unsettling. And I found 
the people to be despicable. I've seen Western movies with this exact same motif. The ending was kind of a downer, very nihilistic ending. And it just, I'm like, ugh. Evil wins at the end. I don't have a problem with that, you know, but but Matthew Hopkins in the end won because Richard Richard is insane. His wife has been tortured and she seems insane. There's nothing that tells me going down the road they're going to have a happy life. It's they're both going to be traumatized and they're completely wrecked and drugged down into the depths. So, I would recommend it. I think it's different. Yeah, it's not your haunted house ghost, demon, zombie horror. It's a different kind of horror. It's Vincent Price. I love Vincent Price. He's great. Could you imagine and, Donald Pleasance in this? One hundred percent. I totally could. I to- I mean, he could, he could pull that off. I bet he could. Although I think Michael Reeves would have had the same problems because Donald Pleasance was like he'd like to do a little overacting. Yeah. Everything was a little crazy, and he wanted this restrained performance. So it would have been funny to see Donald Pleasance. I would love to see that. I would probably watch it again. Not saying there's just so much that I'm trying to watch that I haven't seen. But yeah, I would recommend it. It's a good movie. One thing I think we both agree on. The beer. Jubak's English Pub Ale. I recommend that 100%. If you have a friend, if you're going to be around Dubuque, Iowa, and somebody can get you some, get it. It's, It's a hell of a good beer. It is. My wife spent her childhood in England, and we've been back. We spent a lot of times drinking at pubs at night. Drinking this, talking about England reminded me of those times even though this is i find this such a brutal movie yeah like it but, really bothers me but no i mean I, i've been to ireland the pub lifestyle they've got it all figured out no, i totally agree the pub lifestyle is just so agreeable of just a quiet place to have a good pint of beer we could have a beer in lavenham and discuss which finder general <laughs> go out and say this is where they burn people alive and harry potter was shot so so yeah, we, we totally recommend that. We're sort of split on the movie. And I think we've uh, completed another another wonderful episode. Fine episode. <laughs> Please like, subscribe, and comment wherever you listen. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our website. This is Beer and Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael.